The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. It's important for us to be realists and not idealists. We have to be cautiously optimistic and pragmatic, not delusionally utopian. And in that vein, it's important that we all understand as we think about the next months and certainly the next couple of years that there is simply not going to be the unity that Joe Biden campaigned on and called for in his inauguration speech. We've talked about this a little bit more and later today we're going to be looking at one piece of why, which is that thanks to the cult of Trump, there are now people in positions of power like Lauren Boebert, like Madison Cawthorn, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who don't know anything. They are simply political characters playing roles. They are not lawmakers. They are not thinkers. And unity isn't part of the character they've been hired to play. And by hired, I mean uh, voted in by, by wacky Trumpy Republicans in November of 2020. That's one side. But there's another side to this, which is that Joe Biden is going to do things that will disgust not half of the country, but a large enough portion of it that a contingent of Republican elected officials will stand in the way and say no, no matter what. Uh, we actually are seeing amazingly significant approval of, for example, Joe Biden's first week five days on covid. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but even significant approval like 70 percent, which in this country is incredible. It's almost unanimous approval of, for the standards we have here. The 30 percent that hates it are represented by some of the most radical members of Congress. And so there is not going to be unity. Conservative Rich uh, Lowry wrote a piece in Politico called No, There Won't Be Unity. And his subheadline explains his take on why, which is, quote, on substance, Biden is not going to pursue a consensus bipartisan agenda, but a progressive one. I don't know that I'd characterize Biden's agenda as progressive. It's certainly to the left of recent Democratic presidents. But what Rich Lowry is saying is that Joe Biden is going to do things that the right will never accept. Joe Biden wants unity around us deciding as a country to follow science instead of cartoonish denialism on covid 30 or so percent of the country doesn't want that. This isn't a both sides thing, merely differences of opinion. Imagine if 30 percent of the country said we don't agree with the laws of gravity. You'd say, OK, well, you're going to end up getting a lot of bumps on the head and people falling out of buildings. But the idea of ignoring something that simply is you don't really have a choice. And Joe Biden is going with reality on covid and about 30 percent of the country doesn't accept it. So you're not going to get unity. Joe Biden is doing things that are going to be characterized as stirring the pot. Literally, the term Rich Lowry uses in the Politico piece. Last week, I played a clip for, uh, for you from Fox News of anchor Ainsley Earhart saying Joe Biden called for unity, and yet he did executive orders that go against how Trump governed. <laughs> well, that's a framework where unity is quite literally impossible. Now, unity doesn't have to be we agree with Joe Biden on everything. Unity should be Biden won. Yes, he really did win. Uh, many of them don't accept that, but OK, but Biden won. 
unity can be since Biden won. Let's try it. Let's not actively obstruct everything Joe Biden tries to do. And let's evaluate where we are in six months empirically. But they're not going to do that. And so what Republicans are already saying, there won't be unity because Joe Biden is doing stuff. They are right about half of it, which is there won't be unity. But it's more because of the country being divided culturally to such a degree. One side wants to get actual experts and scientists involved in solving some of the biggest challenges we have. The other side wants cartoon character right wingers who want to bring guns on the House floor and feed every false conspiratorial notion they can come up with. Unity truly isn't possible in that scenario, but it isn't because Joe Biden is doing things. Biden's president. That's what presidents do when they get to work, when they don't go golfing 20 percent of the time. They get to work and they try to do the things they campaigned on. But that's not the story being told on right wing media, which is another reason why there won't be unity. I'm not challenging Fox News's right to exist. I'm not saying Newsmax should be pulled off the air. I'm pointing out that they foment the lack of unity by putting out nonsense like Biden doing the things he promised to do is divisive. Joe Biden doing the things he ran on doing, which got him elected, is now being called a divisive action. And understand that with that as your starting point, the possibility of unity doesn't exist because you're not dealing in actually evaluating policy. You're not dealing in saying, oh, Joe Biden did this. Let's see what the results are. You're engaging in hyperbole and non thinking reactivity. And so Rich Lowry is right. There's not going to be unity, but not because Joe Biden is some extreme progressive left winger. It's because 30 percent of this country simply refuses to accept reality and they have enough support among the House and Senate that there will be actual elected official Republicans who will do what they can to get in the way of anything Joe Biden wants to do and anything Joe Biden gets done. They will say it's bad a priori. And Joe Biden should be punished because he's doing something different than what Republicans want him to do. It's looking very ugly. The good news is it seems that Democrats understand this and Bernie Sanders understands this and they are ready to simply pass things by simple majority, ignoring Republicans. Let's talk about that next. There's a very interesting Axios report that shows our friend Bernie Sanders understands they can't count on Republicans for a damn thing and that he plans to push covid relief and maybe more through the Senate with a simple majority. He was on CNN State of the Union yesterday talking about this, and uh, he said they'll see about other issues with the covid relief package proposed by Joe Biden, which will top up the six hundred dollar payments to two thousand with an additional fourteen hundred dollars and expand unemployment benefits and do a lot of other things. Bernie Sanders says it will be a simple majority vote in the Senate to get it through. Why is this so important? Uh, this process known as budget reconciliation allows Democrats to skip or circumvent the 60 vote requirement that exists in the Senate for many, many legislative uh, attempts for many bills. And if Democrats are able to use budget reconciliation to rather than need 60 votes in the Senate, which means you've got to find 10 Republican votes, 50 with Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote would be enough to get benefits to unemployed Americans. 
uh, to bolster unemployment benefits to get that additional fourteen hundred dollar payment. And uh, what Bernie Sanders is saying is really clear, really pragmatic. And I love to see him saying this. Bernie says, quote, what we cannot do is wait weeks and weeks and months to go forward. We have to act now. We are going to use reconciliation. That's 50 votes in the Senate plus the vice president to pass this legislation. And when he was asked if he wants a relief bill passed before Trump's impeachment trial begins in just a couple of weeks, he said, we've got to do everything. This is not you don't have time to sit around weeks on impeachment and not get vaccines into the arms of people, referring, of course, <clears throat> to the additional vaccine funding in the coronavirus stimulus. I think that this is absolutely the right thing to do. You don't have to. I mean, listen, we're going to be having the conversation about the filibuster soon on the show, and I've been reading a lot about it. Many of you have been saying talk about getting rid of the filibuster or not. Aside from that, not only may Democrats have to do this, Democrats will have to do this on a number of issues over the next couple of years. They have until the 2022 midterms to show what it means to have a Democratic majority and what can be done with it. If they waste it by letting the Republican Party poison the well on everything they want to do and obstruct the way we know Republicans are planning to do, it will actually make the case for giving Democrats more seats in 22. Very difficult to make. Wait a second. You had the House, Senate and White House and you didn't get anything done. Well, we needed 60. Well, but you could have used budget reconciliation to get it done with a simple majority. Right. But now it, it these are unique times coming off of arguably the worst presidency in modern American history during a mishandled global hundred year pandemic with an economic layer on top of the medical layer. If there is ever a time to say, guys, you know, you you Marjorie Taylor Greens and Lauren Boebert's Ted Cruz and all these guys who are who are still raising money from these wacko cultist Trumpists. Um, we just can't even deal with you guys. We're going to get things done on our own. And that's how ultimately Democrats will have to justify reelection in uh, November of 2022. This is the idea of getting rid of the filibuster. This is why Mitch McConnell is fighting it, because they want to do anything they can to prevent Democrats from being able to pass things with a simple majority. Budget reconciliation is a way that they could do covid relief without getting 60 votes. Now, on the filibuster, there are arguments on both sides. If I if I'm sort of previewing my most recent thought, I'm leaning towards being supportive of getting rid of the filibuster. That's not what this conversation is about. This conversation is about passing covid relief quickly. I'm talking in the next 10 to 14 days um, without a 60 vote majority using budget reconciliation. Now, it's important to remember budgets can't be filibustered. Anything that is allocations of money or lack thereof can be passed without zero Republican votes. There are other things Whereas of right now, Republicans can filibuster if Democrats decide we're going to do this with a simple majority. Republicans can't stop them. I believe this is the right decision. I'm glad to see Bernie in this position. And I want to hear from you. Where do you think this is going to lead during the next two years? Find me on Twitter at D The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com.
If you ever feel like you just don't have enough time to read all the books you want to read, you have to check out one of my favorite apps called Blinkist. Blinkist takes thousands of popular nonfiction books and distills each one down into an ebook or audiobook that you can get through in just 15 minutes where you're getting all the key takeaways from the book. Just imagine how you'll be able to expand your horizons and knowledge by being able to soak up all of the important insights from 10 different books in an afternoon. Obviously, it's perfect for exposing yourself to a new book you otherwise wouldn't have time for, or you can use it to revisit a book you've already read or use it to preview a book before you buy the full version and read it. I recently read A Brief History of Time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way. And it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25% off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. One of our sponsors today is Magic Spoon. The reason I'm such a fan of Magic Spoon is they allow me to enjoy the delicious breakfast cereals I loved as a kid without all the sugar and without the unhealthy ingredients, because Magic Spoon makes breakfast cereal that you really can't tell apart from those tasty sugary cereals that we all know. But each serving of Magic Spoon has no sugar, three net carbs and 11 grams of protein. So it's perfect for someone on a low carb keto diet, just anybody trying to eat healthier and cut back on the sugar. You can choose from cocoa, frosted, fruity, cinnamon, blueberry or peanut butter. They all taste amazing. And Magic Spoon now lets you create your own customized variety pack with the flavors you choose. They really do stand by their product and will refund 100 percent of your money if you don't love it. No questions asked. Go to magicspoon.com slash Pacman to build your own custom variety box today and be sure to use promo code Pacman to get free shipping. The link is in the podcast notes. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. Remember that this program is primarily funded by viewers and listeners like you through the membership program. You can sign up in mere seconds at joinpacman.com. You'll get the daily members only bonus show and the pleasure, the true pleasure of knowing you're supporting alternatives to homogenous corporate media. You can use the coupon code better 21 if you so please to get a very large discount uh, on the choice of membership that you prefer at joinpacman.com. We have some very interesting new polling from these early days of the Joe Biden administration and 69% of Americans approve of Joe Biden's week one COVID response. And if you know anything about the hyper partisan and politicized divided nature of the United States, 69% of Americans agreeing about anything is uh, pretty remarkable. And there are even better numbers than that. This is an ABC News Ipsos poll released yesterday. 69% of Americans support Joe Biden's COVID-19 response thus far. That's 97% of Democrats. 
70 percent of independents. But very interestingly, almost half of Republicans, 40 percent of Republicans approve of the way Joe Biden so far has handled coronavirus. Now, in comparison, the highest approval rate that Trump ever had on the pandemic was 55 percent. But when was it? It was mid-March. What had Trump done in mid-March? I think it was March 12th or 15th that Trump said we're shutting down travel from China or Europe. That was his high point of 55 percent. And it's only been down from there. Joe Biden already at 69 percent approval on coronavirus. What has he done so far that people approve of? Well, on day one, he did sign the executive orders. He promised to sign uh, the federal face mask mandate at federal buildings and on transportation, et cetera. Um, he also uh, put together uh, a number of other specific plans which are yet to be voted on um, in terms of coronavirus stimulus, vaccine distribution and much, much more. Interestingly, the mask mandate has 81 percent support across the country, 81 percent support. And uh, Joe Biden also importantly stopped the American withdrawal from the World Health Organization, immediately putting Dr. Anthony Fauci as the sort of liaison or spokesperson for the U.S. in the rekindled relationship with the WHO. Seventy percent of Americans also agree with getting back into or halting our exit from the WHO. This is a really, really big deal. Um, and the reason it's a big deal is that, again, in this country, it's really hard to get numbers that high on anything. If you you know, we've talked before on presidential approval. You have probably 20 percent of the country who will never abandon the president and 20 percent of the country that will never approve of the job the president's doing, meaning even though on paper a president's approval could be between zero and 100, it's really probably between 20 and 80. And um, when we look at the data over recent times about do you think Trump really won the election, the people who thought even up until January 20th and maybe still today that somehow Trump is going to get a second term, 30 percent of this country seems basically cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And I know some people won't like that phrase, but what I mean is there is a non-trivial portion of this country, 25, 30 percent maybe, that includes that 20 that will never abandon Trump plus another five to 10 percent that thinks they are evaluating the situation and coming to those same conclusions that is completely disconnected from reality, completely disconnected from from uh, empiricism and facts and thinking and rationality. And so when you see, wow, in a country where 25 or 30 percent of the country is whacked, 81 percent approval on a mask mandate. That really tells you something. These are numbers that are in practice effectively as close to unanimity as you can expect to get in a country that's as ideologically call it diverse as the United States. We also have from this new poll, this ABC News Ipsos poll, the question of do you believe Joe Biden will unite the country? Now, at the top of the show, I said, no, we're not what I said. Regardless of Joe Biden's efforts, I don't believe that we will see a united United States in any true sense. Fifty seven percent of respondents believe that Joe Biden will make progress in uniting the country. Not a great number, 
but it's something. And uh, we will continue to track all of this data. We are starting to see cases now, as I predicted months ago. This isn't because of anything Joe Biden did yet. We are starting to see cases come down from their pandemic high around January 10th, and hopefully they will continue on down. Hopefully deaths will turn the corner. Hospitalizations in many areas are already going down. So let's hope that we continue in this direction under Joe Biden. Uh, sadly, Dr. Deborah Burks, now retired, became an unfortunate node of disinformation during her work for the Trump administration on the coronavirus pandemic. And you might remember the clips of Dr. Burks repeating how smart and thoughtful Donald Trump is. She would repeat falsehoods about the reality of the virus. She would make obviously false claims about how well things are going here or there, thanks to Donald Trump. And many of us did not fall for it, although some did. Now, Dr. Burks has retired and she did an interesting interview yesterday with CBS's Face the Nation, and she sort of came clean about the Trump administration's handling of coronavirus. And we're going to look at some crip clips, not crips. We're going to look at clips. And this is all fine and good. I mean, she's telling us things we all suspected. But it's too damn late. The time to sound the alarm would have been 10 months ago when clearly she knew Donald Trump was in over his head and this was being mishandled. Coming clean when Trump's gone and you're retired and we have two soon to be three or even four vaccines. It's too late. Now, it's still interesting in a car crash sort of way to hear what she has to say. Asked if Donald Trump was merely distracted from the virus, which is deadly enough. Dr. Burke says, there were actually people in the White House who actively thought the coronavirus pandemic was a hoax. Were there covid deniers in the White House? There are people in the White House and I think people around this country because I've had the privilege to meet them and listen to them and hear them because I wanted to hear what people were saying. There were people who definitely believed that this was a hoax. Why? I think because the information was confusing at the beginning, I think because we didn't talk about the spectrum of disease, because everyone interpreted on what they knew. And so they saw people get covid and be fine. Now, she almost blames herself there. We didn't talk about the spectrum of, the, of disease as if that would have changed the minds of the people telling Trump not to worry about this. These were people committed for political reasons to claiming or believing that it was a hoax. And it's horrifying. She presenting other data was not going to make a difference. And Dr. Burks in this next clip claims that despite the fact that she was the coordinator of the White House covid task force, she basically never saw Trump in the spring. Uh, you gave an interview. What we're seeing today is different from March and April. It is extraordinarily widespread. And then President Trump tweeted. He blasted you for saying that. Did you ever speak to him? after that? I hadn't seen him for months before that or months after that. Um, but that was like that he was the coordinator of the covid task. That was an extraordinary moment because I also got yelled at by um, the speaker who I have tremendous. I mean, obviously, women speaker have policies. gone through a lot to get in their positions. I have tremendous respect for women and women leadership. The speaker Pelosi said she didn't have confidence in you because you were working for President Trump. I don't have confidence uh, in anyone who stands there while the president says uh, swallow Lysol and it's going to cure your mm. virus. You know, it'll kill you and you won't have the mm -hmm. virus anymore. And so that was very hard because I've known her from the HIV world. 
So again, the big news, Burks hadn't seen Trump in person for months before that, nor after that covid coordinator not seeing the president of the United States. Trump simply didn't care, which we knew. She's just confirming it. Uh, Burks asked, how the hell did Trump get covid? Arguably the person who could be the most protected. They were supposedly testing everybody every day. And Dr. Burke says nobody at the White House wore a mask. Take a listen to this. But how did the task force allow the president who calls himself a germaphobe to get covid himself? How did that happen? There were only two people who regularly wore a mask in the White House. Two myself people. and Tyler Ann McGuffrey, the support person that I had from HHS. So the staff around the president was not wearing a mask. He's the commander in chief. This is a national security risk. How is that possible? I think people believed um, wrongly that testing, testing would be adequate. How is that possible? I think they believe that testing is a surrogate for a public health intervention. But did you say the president of the United States needs to wear a mask? Did you press Mike Pence on that? Did you press Mark Meadows as chief of staff? There are multiple communications about masking. Yeah, um, this tells you a lot. And and again, we suspected this stuff. But to hear her say it is both again too little too late, but stunning to hear that this degree of incompetence surrounded Trump. Um, here she explains that someone was giving Trump graphs that weren't coming from her. She doesn't know who it was, but somebody was giving Trump other data. But and, and by data, I mean pictures, essentially. Do you think President Trump appreciated the gravity of the health crisis you were describing? I think the president appreciated the gravity in March. Um, it took a while after I arrived in the White House to remove all of the ancillary data that was coming in. I mean, there was parallel data streams <laughs> coming into the White House that were not transparently utilized. And I needed to stop that. Where people you mean outside were advisors? Outside advisors coming to inside advisors. And to this day, I mean, until the day I left, I am I'm convinced there were parallel data streams because I. Disinformation. I saw the president presenting graphs that I never made. So I know that someone or someone out there or someone inside was creating a parallel set of data and graphics that were shown to the president. I don't know to this day who parallel data and strange graphs and charts, huh? Not unique to the pandemic within the Trump administration. I think we all remember the hurricane Sharpie incident and other instances of bogus data and graphs. So all of our suspicions were true. And that's why this happened early. Trump didn't take it seriously. After April, he also didn't. And no one at the White House did uh, that was in his immediate inner circle. The people taking it seriously, like Dr. Burks, to some degree, although she did play a role in, in perpetuating disinformation, Dr. Fauci, they weren't even talking to Donald Trump for months at a time. And there were people at the White House who believed it was a hoax. This is the full story. And it explains everything that went on perfectly clearly. They uh, disbanded the pandemic response team. 
they threw out or ignored the pandemic response playbook left behind, color coded by the Obama administration. They weren't wearing masks at the White House. They weren't talking to Dr. Burks. Trump wasn't. And Burks coming clean now is great for the record, but it didn't help at all back then. The, if is there a silver lining here? There is knowing the degree of uh, uh, of disregard that the Trump administration had for the virus and seeing how Joe Biden is actually taking this issue head on from day one suggests to me, as if we didn't know from all of the examples from New Zealand and Rwanda and Taiwan and others, that having a federal administration focus, focused on this will make a really big difference. Like things got disastrously bad in the US and they got that bad with total incompetence and disregard from the Trump administration. Uh, now that we have people paying attention to it, I am even more confident that it will make a huge difference. Could Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci and someone else maybe have come together in May and publicly denounced everything that was going on? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And, and again, the question that I have is, I don't know what happens if they do, if they all get fired and get replaced with total sycophants. Burks kind of became a sycophant by by exclude by by default. Fauci did not, but he was pushed out to a great degree. I don't know if they all come together and say this has to stop. This is what's going on. They may all get fired and, and, and get replaced by the equivalent of uh, Dr. Scott Atlas in all of these positions. But nothing surprising whatsoever in what Dr. Deborah Burks tells us would have been nice for her to say it a little bit sooner, for sure. We'll have more coverage of this on our Instagram page. You can find us on Instagram at David Pakman show and you can find me on Instagram at David I posted some interesting things over the weekend that you may find enjoyable or horrifying, depending on your uh, predisposition. Quick break back after this. The David Pakman show at David One of our sponsors today is Trivia Star, a free trivia game for mobile devices with over 60 different trivia categories, including things I know you would love like geography, history, science, many other great topics, movies, sports, food. I've been having a bunch of fun with it because I, as the player, get to choose the category. So I'm only answering questions on topics I'm interested in. There are over a thousand different levels to progress to over 10,000 different questions, which get harder over time. So it gets more and more interesting as you play. If you love trivia like I do, I remember the days pre virus of going out to trivia at a bar and you want a fun way to keep yourself sharp. Check it out. Really well designed game. Four point nine star rating and the number one rated mobile trivia game in the world. It's totally free. Just go to the Apple and Android app store and search for trivia star. If you are anything like me, you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, 
Your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at Steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do, perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns, send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy and anything they can't do online. They'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests. As an example, you don't need insurance. It's only ninety nine bucks a month with no other fees or copays. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs and situation. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me and my medical needs. They have a special offer only for my audience. You'll get 50% off your first month, but only until January 31st. So make sure to sign up soon. Go to steadymd.com slash Pacman. That's S T E A D Y M D.com slash P A K M A N. You can find the link in the podcast notes. Welcome back to the David Pakman show. All right. So we're going to look at some material today from two of these new Republican members of the U.S. House who were elected in November. Today, we're going to be looking at an interview with Republican Congressman Madison Cawthorn. And shortly, we're going to look at some tweets from Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. And here's what I really want everyone to get from this among uh, yes, how to identify and defeat really bad arguments. That's important. But there's a bigger story here. These people whose uh, material we're going to look at momentarily, they got elected riding the Trump scam train. They didn't run on policy. They didn't run on being experts in a particular uh, issue or on certain types of subject matter. They ran on merely playing Trumpian characters, riding the wave of support for Trumpism that exists to a greater degree in some parts of the country and in some districts in the United States. And the problem with electing what are essentially characters playing a political acting role is they don't know anything about anything. There's no substance to them whatsoever. Now, in general, in American politics, there's a huge role for personality. You all know this personality, appearance, uh, public speaking ability, ability to raise money. There's a whole bunch of stuff that in American politics on both sides, it can get people elected who are not the most qualified and doesn't mean they're actually equipped to deal with policy in depth. But this has never been more acutely so than among this latest wave of people who got elected merely for being pro Trump cultists in areas that have a lot of pro Trump cultist voters. So let's get right into this. New Republican Congressman Madison Cawthorn has been very loudly saying, first of all, that he goes armed to the House of Representatives, but also that there was likely fraud and wrongdoing in states like Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and others because of mail in voting and other stuff that Trump has also been repeating. You all know the stories. It took two months between the election and the inauguration, two and a half months of them repeating these same bogus, tired stories. And Cawthorn actually voted against accepting certain states election results in the House of Representatives on January 6th. So Cawthorn goes on CNN and he's interviewed by Pamela Brown, who came very prepared and is asked about the fact that his arguments for voting not to certify some states apply to the state in which he was elected, North Carolina as well. But he never claimed that there were problems in his state, even though 
the guidelines he has a problem with in other states apply just as much to North Carolina. This go this could not have gone any worse for Madison Cawthorn. He's going to have to stop doing these interviews. Um, but before we get to that part, here's Pamela Brown challenging Madison Cawthorn to cite evidence of election fraud. She says, and I love this, you must have so many specific instances of, 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 uh, of evidence of fraud. Right. And he did not. What are some specific examples that informed this bold decision, this audacious decision, even after the riots to, to decertify the results? You must have seen some concrete evidence. Well, Pam, the things that I was not objecting to the election on behalf of was things like Dominion voting machines changing ballots or these U-Haul trucks pulling up filled with b ballots for Joe Biden as president. The thing I was objecting for is th things like, in, like I said, in the state of Wisconsin, particularly in the town of Madison, uh, there was a, an appointed official in that town who actually went against the will of the state legislature and created ballot drop boxes, which is basically ballot harvesting that was happening in the parks. But this was all litigated. You, you know that the Trump campaign litigated all of this more than 60 cases and they lost. Either the cases were dismissed, the Trump campaign withdrew, or they never brought a case because they didn't have the evidence to back it up. Indeed, I believe specifically, and this is the one that I debated on behalf of on the House floor, in Wisconsin, uh, that was never heard because they dismissed it because of standing. Now, I don't believe that that is a concrete enough of a way Well, there were three Trump appointments. Okay, so you have Wisconsin, it. but you never, you, you ended up not actually voting against Wisconsin. It was just Arizona and Pennsylvania because you didn't have the Senate votes. Um, but Okay, so he didn't object because of machines or massive ballot dumps coming out of the back of trucks. OK, but in Wisconsin, some official created drop boxes. But as Pamela Brown points out, that was all litigated. It had no merit. But the most important is he keeps talking about Wisconsin. He didn't end up voting against certification in Wisconsin. He voted against certification in other states. This is so incoherent. We'd need an hour to tease it all apart. And it gets even worse. Three Trump appointed judge actually throughout these cases because of merit. It was because of merit. There were three Trump appointed judges out of all of these judges and more, the more than 60 cases that were tossed out. And you t keep talking about Wisconsin. I'm still not hearing any specific examples of fraud. If you would just tell us what are the specific examples you saw of fraud? Because when you think of fraud, you think of a vote, you're slipping one past the election official or a vote was stolen. Somehow it didn't count. Did you see that specifically? No, Pam. And like I said, that's so not the didn't. reason I okay. contested the election. So this is already just a disaster for this guy. And then Pamela Brown points out the contradiction between Cawthorn saying he has issues with the changes to election rules in Wisconsin, where his own state where he was elected, North Carolina, made similar changes because of the pandemic. Look at this. This if you have an aversion to cringe, walk out of the room right now. Keep focusing on focusing on Wisconsin, but there were several battleground states that you contested to that you talked about. There were several that uh, President Trump had lost. So it's interesting you're, you're focusing on Wisconsin. But would you apply the same issues you had with these battleground states to your own state of North Carolina? Because North Carolina also changed a lot of the rules uh, even after voters had started voting. Why didn't you have concerns about your own home state of North Carolina? 
Well, you know what, Pam? I'm actually not aware of the laws that were changed inside of North Carolina. I believe we had a very safe and a very secure election here. Uh oh, wait, what? North Carolina was fine, safe, secure, even though they did lots of the same things. But North Carolina simply didn't become part of the narrative. And it keeps getting even worse, if you can imagine. Uh, there were several so I, rules. There's no reason to contest that. Yeah, there were several rules, um, one of which is to extend when the mail-in ballots could arrive, I, I believe, by around seven days. That was one, and there were a couple of others as well um, that, that were changed even after people started voting. So I, I'm just wondering, if you're so concerned about the, you know, these rules being changed with the election, why, why wouldn't you focus on your own home state of North Carolina. I mean, you're telling me that your concern really is about election integrity, not politics, not the results of the election, right? That is absolutely correct. I didn't do this for any one man or against any one man. Okay. So North Carolina, though, the same issues you've had and you've expressed about the battleground states, those are the same issues that are in your own state of North Carolina. And North Carolina actually did have mail and ballot fraud in 2018. So... So you're not concerned about your home state and, and whether you were duly elected by your own standards? Well, I'll tell you, because of the mail-in ballot fraud that happened in the midterms here in 2018, I believe our election integrity standards here in North Carolina are some of the greatest in the country. I, I think they should apply this metric all over the country, but that's just my opinion. So he doesn't know anything about it or at least claims to, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. His election was definitely accurate because he won. So he definitely won fair and square. And then later in the sort of wrap up to this complete farce of an interview, he admits, yeah, the election wasn't fraudulent. I did what I do, what I could do to push back, but it actually was not a fraudulent election. Well, so but then, Madison, why did you push back? Can you now say that the election was not stolen, that it wasn't a fraudulent election? Yes, I think I would say that the election was not fraudulent. Um, I, you know, I, the, the Constitution allowed for us to be able to push back as much as we could, and I did that to the amount of the constitutional limits that I had at my disposal. So now I would say that Joseph R. Biden is our president. And you have no regrets? No, I do not have any regrets. Okay. Listen, Republican Congressman Madison Cawthorn, thank you for coming on. So either he's going to need some serious media training or he will have to stop doing these interviews. And this is what happens when we elect characters to play lawmakers on TV. It's not about governing. It's the new version of winning a reality TV show. That's all it is. And Pamela Brown so easily dismantles this guy to the point of it being humiliating for him. And you almost start to feel bad for the kid, except that he chose to do this. And people voted him in and now he can wield power and do a lot of damage. So it isn't necessarily a new phenomenon in our political history that incompetent people get elected. That's not new. And we've seen that on both sides. But the way in which the cult of Trump has been weaponized to propel completely clueless people who have no business even being on the House floor. Like it's not even about what they do. They have no business being on the House floor. Their big concern is bringing guns to the House floor. Um, it is particularly pernicious right now. Now, contrast this. If you want to think about someone who's the opposite of people like Madison Cawthorn and, and Lauren Boebert, who we'll talk about, 
Think about Jamie Raskin. OK, you don't have to agree with everything Jamie Raskin does. You can say Jamie Raskin is not progressive enough or whatever. Jamie Raskin is a guy who cares about policy and depth and brings a depth of knowledge about the issues. And he can talk about the issue. He, he is a sort of politician's politician, and he suffered tragic loss recently with the death of, of uh, one of his children. But he comes to mind as the antithesis to these clueless reality show characters. Let's now talk about Lauren Boebert. We're continuing our tour through truly incompetent new Trumpy members of the House. And Congresswoman Lauren Boebert is at the top of the list, along with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Madison Cawthorn. And as you may or may not know, Lauren Boebert uh, demands to be armed on the House floor. She recently set off the metal detectors at the House of Representatives. It, this is a this is a wacky, wacky person. She tweeted something which exposed her complete lack of knowledge about the minimum wage and economics. She said, quote, I got my start working at McDonald's. That job doesn't exist if the minimum wage is raised to $15 per hour. Small business would be crushed by this arbitrary mandate and big business would simply automate away jobs. Not everything that sounds good is actually good in practice. It is stunning how many bad arguments she was able to squeeze into that one tweet. First of all, she claims jobs at McDonald's don't exist if you raise the minimum wage to $15 per hour. Minimum wage in Washington, D.C. is $15 per hour. McDonald's exist debunked. Number two, she says that it's arbitrary to make the minimum wage $15 an hour. This is an argument we often hear from people who come in and say, listen, if you're just picking a number and more money for people is good, why stop at $15 an hour? Make the minimum wage $100 an hour, make it $1,000 an hour. And of course, they are wrong that it is arbitrary. A, th a hundred or a thousand dollar an hour minimum wage is not defensible on the basis of cost of living, on the basis of work and productivity generated by employees in tr typical minimum wage jobs. It's not an equilibrium wage in the market. So they want to say, oh, it's our 15 bucks. It could be 12. It could be 100. Make it a thousand. Why not? No, no, no. There's nothing arbitrary about it. And 15 is probably a hair too low in some places due to cost of living. And in, in some other places, you could argue th there are really low cost of living places where maybe you could argue 15 is too high relative to cost of living and, and revenue at small businesses. But the idea that it's arbitrary is just completely wrong. And uh, what what you have to understand, what is she missing here? And she's missing a lot. Remember that labor is only one input at a place like McDonald's. And we've studied how meaningful wage increases at places like McDonald's would have a very small impact on the total cost, not the price, the cost of a Big Mac. And clueless people have scammed their way into positions of power by attaching themselves to the Trump scam train and Republican voters fell for it. And now you have people like Lauren Boebert who don't know anything in positions of power. You also have to remember that when you increase the minimum wage, you're creating demand side stimulus, even though it might cost McDonald's a little more to make the Big Mac because of the increased minimum wage. Way more people now have money to go buy more Big Macs. That's the demand side stimulus component. She also mentions they would automate jobs. 
McDonald's has already been doing that for a very long time, both in areas where there is a $15 minimum wage, a $14 minimum wage, a $13 minimum wage and a $7 minimum wage. They've already been automating these touchscreen uh, ordering machines, app based delivery and collection order, you know, all this different stuff. Um, and so, you know, it, of course, it's a total misunderstanding by Lauren Boebert. I don't think anyone's shocked that she doesn't know a damn thing about economics. But the reality is that we're only to get going to get more of this if at some point the Republican Party doesn't say we have to. Th this has to stop even people like, you know, OK, I would disagree with Mitt Romney on policy, but he has a better understanding of at least what the terms of the debate are and how it should be discussed. We would come to different conclusions. He would have some bad ideas, I'm sure, about supply side economics, as an example. But this is just a cartoonish farce, people like Lauren Boebert. And if the Republican Party learned anything from the Trump fiasco, it would be to make sure that in the 2022 election, all of these nuts lose that. It, and I don't know that Republicans have actually learned that. Let me know if you think they have. We'll be back right after this. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. When you see me sitting here at the microphone, oftentimes I'm wearing a shirt by a company called Teddy Stratford. And I love these shirts so much that I asked Teddy Stratford to be a sponsor of the show. And here's why I like their shirts so much. With other slim fit button up shirts, you often get this weird looking gap between the buttons where it looks kind of stretched out. But Teddy Stratford actually has a patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which secures the shirt against your chest so it doesn't look stretched. And most importantly, it just provides a nicer looking fit overall. And the entire shirt is specially designed to really improve the way your upper body looks when you're wearing it. It also has a special type of collar that prevents it from drooping down and spreading open, which is another really great thing about these shirts. All of these things really do a lot to make a big difference when you're looking at a shirt. And that's why I like to wear Teddy Stratford shirts on the show. Go check them out at davidpackman.com slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15% off your first order. If you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout, that's P-A-K-M-A-N. The David Pacman Show at davidpackman.com. We're continuing to get to know this new class of elected officials in the House of Representatives, which includes some really, really unqualified people. We've spoken before about Marjorie Taylor Greene, who drafted articles of impeachment against Joe Biden on January 21st last week. Yes, she did. We talked earlier today about Lauren Boebert. Uh, we spoke earlier today about Madison Cawthorn's disastrous interview on CNN, you know, to, to give you a sense of the sort of folks that we're dealing with here. Um, there is pretty widespread reporting about Madison Cawthorn visiting Hitler's house because it was a bucket list item for him and everything about I mean, down to the detail. It, this is indistinguishable from satire with some of these guys. Um, the Jewish mayor of Asheville, North Carolina. Remember that Madison Cawthorn is, is a, a representative now in North Carolina back in August said it's very concerning that the Republican then candidate, now member of Congress, visited Adolf Hitler's vacation home and referred to him as the Fuhrer on social media. 
And back in 2017, Cawthorn posted from the so-called Eagle's Nest Hitler's vacation home. It was one of the last battlegrounds of World War Two, referred to Hitler as the Fuhrer, said that going there was on his bucket list and did call Hitler a supreme evil. Right. I, I, I'm not looking to hide that uh, from you. Um, the uh, mayor Mannheimer said it's very concerning throughout the last several years since Trump has been elected president. I think all of us have seen that white supremacists are emboldened and are publicly making their positions known and to elect someone who openly throws out dog whistles like this. It just makes me really sad, actually, first and foremost. It makes me sad, disappointed, worried. Now, when this was written about Cawthorn briefly took down the pictures because a lot of attention was called to them, then they were publicly visible again. Cawthorn deciding to double down and to say that it's a fake news controversy, uh, that he wasn't there to celebrate. He was celebrating a victory over evil. So I have a few different thoughts uh, uh, about this. First of all, as someone who who is disabled, Madison Cawthorn would have been one of the first killed by the Nazis right after Jews. So that, that the irony of that is certainly not lost on me. You'll very often hear defenses from these folks like, no, I was interested in seeing how such evil was defeated. Or sometimes you'll hear uh, a, a little more about well, it was interesting for historical reasons. Visiting Hitler's vacation home. I'm a I'm an historian and it was interesting for that or reading Mein Kampf is interesting for historical reasons. Um, I enjoy history as well. But when you see people flocking to the Hitler stuff for history's sake, but they're not interested in any other areas of history, it is a little weird, right? Like if Mein Kampf is the only history book you read, you might not be that interested in history. And Mein Kampf isn't even really a history book. It's a historical book for sure, but it's not a book about history. I'm no expert, but very often when people gravitate to Hitler's vacation home or reading Mein Kampf and like that's the only curiosity they have, it's not really about history. It's that they find the legacy of power and violence and ruthlessness exciting or interesting. And it's I'm not denying that Madison Cawthorn thinks Hitler was evil in some kind of nominal way. Uh, what I am sure of is that Cawthorn is a reactionary and a liar, and we should be very careful about believing anything he says. And I don't know how many of you are, are aware of the history of lying. Uh, Madison Cawthorn misled the public about claiming he was training for the Paralympics. He misrepresented his educational history. He misrepresented his business history. This seems like just a liar, which reminds me of someone, by the way. Multiple outlets have reported that before running for office, Cawthorn said he was training for the 2020 Paralympic Games. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. Cawthorn wasn't on any team or club. He didn't run any races. It'd sort of be like if I said I'm training for Olympic ski jumping. But have you done any skiing to prepare? No. Do you have a coach? No. Are you on any team? No. Uh, do you have a lift ticket anywhere? No, but I'm training like that's the degree to which it seems that he was training. Cawthorn claims to have been a successful business owner and uh, heading to the Naval Academy when his 
tragic car accident left him paralyzed. But the truth is he had already been rejected from the Naval Academy, so it wasn't true he was heading there. His only business that anyone was able to find was a real estate investment company that had zero income and no employees in 2019. So this seems like a liar. And when you talk about someone that gets elected merely riding, uh, uh, riding the wings or standing on the coattails of Donald Trump and the Trump cult, this is exactly who you would imagine gets elected. And we'll be doing deep dives into Lauren Boebert. We'll be doing deep dives into Marjorie Taylor Greene. These are folks who know nothing about policy or governance. They are the epitome of cultish role players. And we saw that in Madison Cawthorn's Pamela Brown interview earlier on in the show. And so these folks really have to be defeated in 2022. If Republicans learned anything from Trumpian, the Trumpian fiasco, and I don't know that they have. But as I said earlier, if they learned anything from the Trumpian fiasco, they would make sure to run credible primaries against these folks or to convince them to retire and that they can't win. Um, I don't know that that's actually going to happen, but these folks, if they get reelected, would cement this Trumpian cult um, in the House of Representatives for multiple terms. And that would be really, really scary and an absolutely horrible thing. Hey, listen to this. This is just a pleasure to read. Rudy Giuliani is being sued by Dominion voting systems over false election claims. The lawsuit against Rudy Giuliani. Uh, is because he is accused of carrying out a quote viral disinformation campaign. Dominion Voting Systems has filed a defamation lawsuit. The lawsuit was filed this morning and it's 107 pages long. It accuses not only Giuliani, as I mentioned, of carrying out a viral disinformation campaign about Dominion. It accuses him of uh, putting out their demonstrably false allegations to enrich himself through legal fees and his podcast. And that's true. A big theme on his popular podcast for Rudy Giuliani was making false claims about Dominion voting systems. The suit is suing Rudy for one point three billion dollars. Yeah, they're not going to get that. I know. Uh, And it makes um, these uh, it files this suit on the basis of 50 different statements that Rudy made at legislative hearings via tweets as well as on his podcast and while being interviewed on conservative news media. Now, as you know, Rudy Giuliani um, was supposedly getting 20 grand a day to defend Donald Trump or represent Donald Trump in the election fraud bogus cases. We later learned that Donald Trump uh, directed his team not to pay Rudy Giuliani, and we don't know if or how much of that 20 grand a day Rudy has actually been able to collect. But look at this. Does anybody feel sorry for Rudy? You throw your reputation away to peddle baseless conspiracy theories for Trump, which, of course, go nowhere. Trump ends up saying don't pay him. And now Rudy is going to accumulate significant legal fees because he's getting sued for the things that he said. Now, he should be sued. He should be disbarred. And in the end, he uh, should be held accountable for his role in the insurrection, which now I don't just mean on the day of the insurrection saying, let's do trial by combat. That's bad enough. But I mean, the two and a two two months that he spent ginning up anger over non-existent voter fraud claims with his hearings and his flatulence at the hearings and everything else. And you can actually make the case that Dominion voting systems has really been irreparably damaged by the false allegations. It is hard to think of a time where I would take the side of a corporation against an individual. But 
the Dominion voting systems name. Any election that Dominion voting systems is involved in, you are going to have people who come out of the woodwork and claim fraud because of Dominion voting systems. These people, Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and and Lynn Wood and whoever, they really have destroyed the reputation of Dominion voting systems for no reason whatsoever. So we'll see what happens uh, in these lawsuits in terms of Rudy. Listen, um, a lot of people continue to say Rudy was just compromised. That's why Rudy did all of these things. He was compromised. We don't yet know the full extent or the details, but he was if Borat can get Rudy into the position Rudy found himself in. There's no doubt that professionals would be able to manipulate Rudy Giuliani. There's no question about that. And um, when you think about it, a lot of the actions from some of these Republicans can be explained by them being compromised. I'm not saying they are. But for example, Lauren Boebert owed or owes money to the IRS. That would often prevent people from getting a security clearance, but politicians are still able to run and get elected regardless. And it puts her in a position of being very easy to have over a barrel if the right people get involved. Rudy, again, Rudy throwing away his reputation, had strong favorability as uh, the mayor of New York City after 9 11. And that went away over the following years. And then just completely imploding in terms of his reputation during the presidency of Donald Trump. Now, by the way, this should be exciting news for anybody who still believes there was evidence of election fraud. This lawsuit. What do I mean by that? If the lawsuit goes forward, the evidence that Rudy Giuliani and his cronies supposedly have about the minion voting systems would come out in the discovery phase of the lawsuit. So for those of you, and I know that there are some of you still in my audience who think any day now the evidence will come out. This lawsuit against Rudy is the perfect opportunity to get all of that evidence of voter fraud out during the discovery phase. I'll be waiting. I look forward to seeing if we ever see that information. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Uh, here's something we heard from Troy York. You know, I'm hearing this from a lot of people, which is basically now that Trump is gone, your show is dead, David. It's dead. You know, just uh, I bet secretly you had to be rooting for President Trump because I think that you as a podcaster, uh, you are done. Right. I mean, if you don't have Trump around, what the hell is the David Pagman show going to talk about? And you're not even getting your international funding anymore. There's, there's no point in right funding, which I don't have programs like you, David Pakman and Sam Cedar. You, you guys are done. Right. So I don't know why you celebrate and we're pushing so hard against Trump when, in fact, you're not going to have no content. Right. You know, what's fascinating about this is that when Obama won and defeated George W. Bush, I got all the same emails. You're now on the inside and it's not going to be there's not going to be nothing to do. The show quadrupled during Obama raised venture capital. I mean, it was it was like crazy. The Obama era was completely crazy for us. But I got worried. Troy, maybe Troy's onto something here. Maybe we're done. So I went and looked. And in the short five day period since the inauguration, we had live stream views in the millions. We continued to have one or even two million views a day on the YouTube channel, even through the weekend when we normally see a dip. We added 11,000 new YouTube subscribers uh, and one of the biggest growth weeks we've ever had on our Instagram IGTV channel was uh, the last week 
uh, during and since the inauguration. And, you know, the, the reality is there are always things going on. Right wing media is going to be nuts the next two years. These Trumpian right wing elected officials are going to be nuts. And some of our best performing clips of the last three months and during the last three months, Trump did a lot of crazy things, even during the last three months and in the have been since the time of Trump's departure. Our coverage of Lauren Boebert and these other insurrectionists, the focus group with Republican voters, one of our top clips, Sean Hannity claiming Biden's doing reeducation camps. This has been a thing forever. You're circling the drain now that the winds are changing politically and then we grow and we grow and we grow. And if the last five days are any indication, the next three months could be really crazy. But, you know, I'm really glad that through the years, Troy has stuck with us. He seems to love the show because he knows everything that's going on here. We will talk to you more on today's bonus show. Get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com. We will talk about the death of Larry King. We will talk about the uh, candidacy of Sarah Huckabee Sanders for governor of Arkansas and much, much more. Sign up and get instant access at joinpacman.com. <laughs>